Good morning. My name is Brian Asker, also also one of the pastors here. And congratulations to all you robotics uh, people out there. Had a good weekend. You swimmers and divers also had a good weekend. And I saw in the newspaper that some of the wrestling people had a great weekend too. So lots of fun spring sports. I know uh, I was watching the swim and dive because my son's involved with that. And uh, one of the swimmers on the Mankato East team uh, DQ'd in the 50. And so, you know, a little, you know, heart palpitations then getting up for the next event. And uh, lo and behold, he ended up getting first place uh, in the butterfly. And, you know, we just love those sorts of stories where people overcome adversity, right? I was thinking about this uh, as I was watching uh, Lord of the Rings with my kids this week. Um, And... I don't know what it was. Like, I haven't seen it for a while, but when Sam picked up Frodo and started carrying him up the mountain, tears started to well up in my eyes. And I was like, wow. Like, I didn't know that that was so emotional for me. Uh, If you haven't seen the story, for those of you maybe who are a little bit younger, uh, catch you up. Uh, Sam and Frodo are hobbits. And uh, the story is about this one ring where... Uh, that rules them all. And Sauron, the evil lord Sauron, has used the evil ring to rule the entire world before. Uh, It's called Middle-earth. And uh, he's got a plot to get it back. And Frodo and Sam and the rest of the gang, the main characters, they are on a mission to destroy the ring. But the only way to destroy the ring is by bringing it into the heart of the mountain where Sauron is. Ah! And it's... Uh, It's a place of evil, and it's dark, and it's, oh man, it's impossible, really. It's an impossible task. And when you see somebody overcome that impossible task, it brings hope. It brings a sense of emotion that just sort of wells up within you. Okay, maybe you haven't seen the movie haven't read it, uh, but you can think about another story that you have experienced. Uh, maybe for you younger people, it's Harry Potter. Uh, you know, just the impossible, right? And the character overcomes something that everybody thought was going to take them down. We love these kinds of stories. They inspire us. And I think it's because we were made to overcome. And as we continue our story, our message series in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is written, so that you may believe. And in today's passage, Jesus is going to tell the disciples that they will overcome, but it's not going to be what they expect or maybe even what you or I expect. We're going to be in John chapter 16 if you want to open up your Bible. I also set it up on that app. If you've got that downloaded, you can just tap on uh, one of the things that will bring up the message. We'll also have it up here on the screen for you and maybe even online. So uh, we're going to start in uh, verse 16 of chapter 16. So it says, Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking one another, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. 
So Jesus has been talking for quite a while. He's kind of a really long monologue, uh, starting back in chapter 13. And uh, the last time that we have somebody who sort of interrupts or asks Jesus a question is in chapter 14, verse 22. Now Jesus knows that he's going to get arrested. He knows that he's going to the cross. And so he has this in mind as he's talking his, to his disciples, giving them kind of what we might think of as his final words. Uh, we often call this the farewell discourse. So he tells the disciples, I'm going to die. And he wants to tell them this so that they aren't surprised, even though they're going to be surprised when he dies. He also warns them about the future. And in some ways that helped them. In other ways, I mean, they just kept living life. He also gives them uh, this cool thing that's going to happen where the Holy Spirit's going to come on them and advocate is going to be there. And he gives them instructions to remain in him. And that requires obeying his commands. Chief among those commands is the command to love one another. Then he warns them of persecution and that fact that he's going to leave them. And when you put all this together, we can start to understand a little bit of why the disciples are maybe grieving a little bit, confused and wondering, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? This is weird. So Jesus, uh, knowing this, in verse 19, it says, saw that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you. And that's one of those phrases we read in John that means, Pay attention, this is a truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And then he gives them a parable to understand this a little bit more. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Times have changed a little bit. Uh, if I today used an image of a woman bearing chi uh, a child, that would be a little strange because I am a man and I have never birthed a child. I have watched my wife birth a child, but I would never dream of using that as an image in today's world. But uh, this is ancient times, so things are a little bit different. This is before kind of pre-modern medicine. And so this is probably extra painful uh, beyond what we can imagine today. And the Old Testament often uses childbirthing as an image of extreme anguish. And then Jewish literature often used the image of birthing a child as a period of intense suffering that one would go through before the end of the world came and a new world order would be established. So these are some of the things that would have been maybe happening in ancient literature that people would have been familiar with that I would never dream of talking about today. Uh, now, because we can read the rest of the story, uh, we know that Jesus is indicating the kind of pain that he as well as the disciples are going to go through. They're going to go through a, a period of severe uh, testing and struggle. As Jesus gets arrested, he goes to the cross, and then the disciples will go into hiding. 
they're super ashamed, they're fearful of their lives, and then after the resurrection, they will emerge. But we know the end of the story. Uh, they didn't. And when, when they do finally emerge and the resurrection happens, they will have a joy that will never be taken away from them. And when that day of joy comes, verse 23 tells us, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you again, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So in that day is uh, what we call in theology an eschatological reference. Big fancy word, right? So let's go to theology class for just a moment, catch you up uh, in case you haven't been. Uh, so eschatology is a big fancy word for end times, the end of days, the things that will happen in the end. And uh, John uses this in that day to talk about the idea of Jesus going up to the Father and then coming back and giving them the Holy Spirit. And the disciples will now have direct access to the Father. And this is huge. This is mind-blowing for the Israelites. Because in the Old Testament, you needed a mediator to be between you and God. So you had a priest that you would talk to that could then talk to God for you. But you would, could never dream of actually talking to God yourself. So this is like, what? Wait, we get to talk to the Father directly? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. And I thought about how this may be even mind-blowing for us today. In some traditions, we still have some of this in our sort of thinking, in our religious system. I still have people say, hey, Brian, can you pray for me? And I love praying for people, and I'm happy to pray with you and for you. But just so you know, you don't have to have me pray for you. You can pray to God yourself. Crazy. And God can hear you, and God can do amazing things. Now, please keep asking me to pray for you, because I want to pray for you. But I don't have anything special that you don't have. You have direct access to the Father. Pretty cool, huh? So the reasons uh, that the disciples could ask for anything in Jesus' name is because it says that God loved them. And similarly, God loves you. God loves us and cares for us and wants to listen to us. But there's that funny little phrase there that says, in my name, in the name of Jesus. And that signifies that this is something where you're asking for something as a representative of Jesus. So we're about Jesus's business, if you think about it that way. So just as Jesus came to the Father, the same is true for us. God loves us. And if you love Jesus, you can ask for anything in Jesus' name to help you carry out the family business, the business of God, the business of Jesus, and you will receive it. So this all meets with approval by the disciples, and they say, finally, 
Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this whole series has been about belief, and belief is kind of a funny thing. Because the reality is that Jesus says, hey, you believe. You believe now? And the disciples seem to think that they understand. They kind of figure it out. Now you're speaking clearly, not in figures of speech. But Jesus also knows that a day is coming when they'll experience trouble, when they'll scatter to their own homes. And he's already, uh, in chapter 13, predicted Peter's denial. And Jesus knows that he hasn't told them, the, he hasn't told them everything because, quite frankly, they aren't ready for it. That's earlier in the chapter. He says, I haven't told you everything because you're not ready for it, but don't worry, I'm sending you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will tell you all things and help you believe these things. And none of this uh, concerns Jesus because he knows that the Father is with them. And it shouldn't concern the disciples because even though they will face trouble, it says that Jesus has overcome the world. But again, belief is a funny thing. It ebbs and it flows. So let's return to our conversation about eschatological things or eschatology, which again is a fancy word for end times. When the Jews thought about the end times, they thought about passages like uh, Micah 4, where where God talks about bringing all the nations to Jerusalem, where they will worship God. And John's eschatology, he talks about the disciples getting direct access to the Father, asking for whatever they want and getting it. John indicates that this will happen as soon as Jesus leaves them and leaves the Holy Spirit. In other words, after Jesus is crucified, after he raises again and he leaves again, then uh, the Holy Spirit will be there and guide them into all truth. And they will be able to ask the Father for anything and get it. So theologians call this realized eschatology. Okay? Or, in other words, it's been actualized or realized. It's something that is here right now. But if we're in realized eschatology, if we're already at the end times and we can already ask for anything and we can get it, why do we still struggle in this world? Why do we still have brokenness? Why do we still have pain and suffering? Why doesn't everybody just believe in Jesus? Hasn't Jesus already overcome the world? So what's going on here? For the disciples, Jesus' death and resurrection was proof that what Jesus said was true. The teachings that he said were true. God does love us. God does want to be in relationship with us. Jesus also said, I'm going to the Father, 
and I will come back again. So another truth. And Jesus' words about being gone a little while and then coming back in a little while are true for the disciples, but they're also true for us. So we live in this time where Jesus has gone back to heaven and he's coming back a second time. He's promised that he's going to set all things right. We can read about this in Revelation 21 or among other places. And God wants to give us, humans, as much time as we need to spread the good news and to respond to the good news. So we, like the disciples, can ask the Father for anything in the name of Jesus, and we'll get it. But we also experience things that are broken in this world, and like the disciples, we don't always obey perfectly. We don't always believe perfectly. And because our belief and our obedience wane, sometimes we fail to live out how God wants us to live. And we experience the brokenness of the world. And it's why we still live in this place where the kingdom has not yet fully come. And theologians have coined this term, the inaugurated eschatology, meaning the kingdom has come in some ways. We can ask the Father for anything, and lo and behold, we can get it. And we still live in a broken world where things don't work out perfectly. Sometimes I don't obey God perfectly, and I contribute to the fallenness and the brokenness of the world. We don't obey all of God's commands, and so that's evidence that the kingdom has not yet fully come. The good news is that Jesus tells his disciples that someday their joy will be made complete. It's only a matter of time. Jesus has overcome the world, past tense. Until then, Jesus gives his disciples the tools to be able to live in this broken, fallen world. We get an advocate, the Holy Spirit, that Sandy talked about, a lot about last week, that will guide us into all truth, that will remind us of truth, help us to obey and do the right things. We also have direct access to the Father. We've talked about that today. We can ask anything in the name of Jesus, and we will be given it. And the third thing I think that's really helpful didn't initially stand out to me and maybe doesn't initially stand out to you, but I think it's interesting that Jesus tells them, essentially, you're not going to be perfect. Your belief isn't going to be perfect. You're going to mess up, and that's okay. I'm telling you this so that you can keep persevering. You can keep trying. You can keep coming back and asking God to help you. So believing is persevering. Even when we mess up, we don't have to have it all perfect. But what I, part of what I love about believing and persevering is it's not in my strength. It's not in your strength. It's not even our collective strength. It's in the strength of Jesus. And yes, we can help one another to depend on the strength of Jesus. We do it in community. We do it with the Holy Spirit guiding us and with the Father giving us what we need. That's how we get to persevere in this world. That's how we get to participate in bringing the good news of the kingdom of God now in really awesome ways. We get to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you, if this week you're struggling, it's okay. If you ever struggle with your belief, that's okay. You don't have to be perfect in it. 
were all going to ebb and flow. Jesus told the disciples they were going to ebb and flow in their belief. That's okay. I think that's part of the reason why we have the community, because they can help us, and we have the Holy Spirit. In the meantime, we want to have courage. We want to trust God for perseverance. And we want to keep asking God every day for the things that we need. Particularly when it comes out to carrying out the mission of God. So as I was thinking about this for our church, uh, we're a church that's trying to accomplish the mission of God. We want to help people connect with Jesus and experience God's love and joy. Jesus says that their joy will be made complete. And I think that's true for us too. We can experience that. So we're a church that's trying to do that. We're trying to help people experience the joy of Jesus, the joy of God. And we're talking about, hey, we'd love to find a more permanent you know, worship location. We'd love to, we're thinking about should we become an independent uh, church or not? We're thinking about, you know, what should be kind of our next steps in our mission for our church? What are the specific things that we should do as a church? And I want to encourage you to keep asking God for clarity on those things and keep asking for God for the provision of the things that we need to accomplish God's purposes as a church. I also want to encourage us to keep persevering. We may not have a permanent space for a long time, and that's okay. We can still accomplish the purposes of God. It means we still get to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning or 6.30 in the morning to haul the trailer over here and set things up. It means uh, that we get to keep inviting people again and again, maybe for the hundredth time, maybe when it gets really awkward. We get to keep inviting people, persevering, even when it gets uncomfortable. Because that's part of what it looks like for us to believe and to persevere, to continue trusting in God. I thought I'd leave you with this uh, from Romans uh, chapter 5. I think I got it on there. Oh, good. Uh, This is from the message. Paul says, There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and we know and how that patience in turn forges and tempered the steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So the good news is that God is doing these things. We have belief that wanes, ebbs, and flows, but God is continuing to do these things, and we can persevere because God is doing them. Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word and reminding us that you are at work, that you have overcome the world, that we get to participate in bringing your kingdom now, And we look forward to the day when you come back a second time and that you set all things right and that we get to experience that. Until then, Lord, help us to continue to persevere as the disciples did. Help us when our belief wanes, when our obedience wanes, and we don't do what we're supposed to or what you have asked us to. Encourage us to encourage one another and help us depend on you. Amen.